You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. I am your host, Beverly Isla. Thanks for tuning in. Our guests today play a very special role in making sure rescue dogs are not only as happy as they can be, but as polished as they can be once adopted. And our first guest, Leah, owns and runs the nonprofit organization in Costa Rica called Territorio de Zaguates, also known as Land of the Strays. And you may have seen the video going around Facebook with the beautiful hills, a ton of dogs just roaming around. It looked so peaceful. And our second guest, Jeff Reed, based in BC, Canada, has been rehabilitating rescue dogs for over 10 years and runs Rescue Me Canine Training. I really thank both guests for doing what they do. It's amazing. When we get back from these messages, we'll talk with our first guest, Leah, about her story on the Land of Strays. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's hard to find time for your furry family member. That's where Camp Bow Wow comes in. All day play and overnight camp. Daycare and boarding for dogs. Everything is included. Large play areas for fun and exercise. Spacious cabins, comfy cots, even live camper cams to watch from a computer or smartphone. Camp Bow Wow offers the best care and is the place to go where a dog can be a dog. For locations and more information, visit CampBowWow.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Leah, owner of a nonprofit organization in Costa Rica that currently has almost 800 dogs. Thank you for coming on today, Leah. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So the video of hundreds of hundreds of dogs that's been <laughs> circulating Facebook. Tell us your story on, on how it began. Like, I've been waiting to, to ask. How many people want to know? So what, how, how? 800 dogs? Yeah. Amazingly, it began one at a time, right? So, and I got, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people start that way. Eventually, I started this from my house, and, and eventually, well, there's a lot of the dogs I was able to find homes for, and a lot of them I couldn't because they were maybe older than people wanted or larger than they needed or maybe not pretty enough. And, um, and they were wonderful animals, but not, they didn't have the market value that people wanted. So I, was, I, I always wondered what would be of them. I mean, in other circumstances, they'd be back on the street or in a shelter where they wouldn't have much of a choice either or a chance to live. So we, um, my grandfather owned a farm, and he had, it was part of an inheritance that I had gotten, and I was not very interested in getting into agriculture at all, okay. and it was actually my husband's idea who said, why don't we take the dogs that can't find a home quickly, we take them up there, and there's no rush. If they find a home, fine. If not, that'll be their home, and that's what happened, and that's what's been going on for the last 10 years. Oh, it's been 10 years. Wow. So you started with one? <laughs> yes, one at a time. <laughs> wow. How many volunteers does it take? Like, do you have volunteers? Basically, it's... Alvaro, Marcela, and myself, we're the ones who 
the ones rushing and worrying and trying to see how we solve things. We have hired staff who work at the farm, five guys who are actually paid to be there. Three of them live at the farm because the dogs have to be supervised at all times. Oh, I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, um, but the rest, basically, we do have people who come up from time to time, companies who do their sort of connection with society and schools who they're asked to do a certain hours of community service. So they, a lot of them choose to do it with us. And, but if you're thinking sort of volunteers that help run all the operation. No, it's just Marcela, Alvaro, and myself. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's good that the uh, the site has kind of become like a landmark there. Well, <laughs> we hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, 800 dogs. I mean, I walk maybe 10 dogs, and there's fights sometimes. Are there a lot of fights out there? Do you know? There's scuffles. I mean, I put it this way. it's They're like a huge family. And in any family, I mean, there's, there's times... Picture Thanksgiving. Everything starts off fine, and then somebody says the wrong thing, and then there's yeah, a scuffle. And so true. basically, yeah, these dogs, there will be scuffles from time to time, but that's why they're always supervised. The core of the pack has been together for over 10 years. A lot of them have Whoa. been with us for 10 years, yeah. So I think those dogs have been responsible for sort of, I don't know, if instructing or teaching or what the rest of the new dogs. And, and they all sort of fall into the same vibe. And um, cool. now when the scuffles begin, it's, all, it's basically a matter of sort of distracting them, yelling a bit. Yeah. What we do when the pack is all together and, and a couple start fighting, two of the guys run in different directions and they take sort of the biggest sort of mob off into different directions. And that <laughs> distracts them usually enough sort of to, to end it. Sometimes we have yeah. to step in and separate them. But it's usually if we're paying attention, and, and that's why we have people all the time, Usually it doesn't go past the sort of growling and showing uh, who's who, and that's it. That's awesome. Well, they look peaceful yeah. in the video anyway, so was, well, I didn't expect yeah. any, any uh, <laughs> aggravation there. So, Leah, perhaps you can shed some light on what it takes financially to make this thing happen, because it's humongous. Like, what are the monthly expenses involved, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, no, well, just so you have an idea, they eat 270 kilos of food a day. And that uh, represents, uh, that just in food is $500 a day. That just whoa. food. And that, we get help from a, a company in Costa Rica that produces the food. Yeah, they give us a helps. lot of it. But okay, they give, us, they give us approximately half of it. So let's say we have to buy $250 of food every day. And then that's a, then add to that the medical expenses. Oh, yeah. Every time we spay or neuter a dog, we have to pay for it. The, the, the vets give us a very good price, but it's still $20, $25. And um, uh, then we have to buy medicine to have up there. We have to pay the guys. We have to pay the light. Luckily, we have our own water. But it all adds up. I mean, it's I scary. I imagine. It's scary. Wow. That's awesome <laughs> that you've been able to keep it up, though, for the past 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's been a huge effort, but... And the first time, or the or just it just takes one great adoption for you to forget about all all That's the effort true. it's taken. Yeah. That is true. Now, is it yeah. like I see it's mainly outdoors? But if there were storms, where do they go? In is there an indoor place, or they're cool with staying outside? There's um well, they like it outside, but there's a huge holding area where oh, okay. it's sort of. They eat there, they chill there, they crash there, the ones that want. Some stay around the house, some stay under the house. They sort of choose their pack and they choose their place, but there is a huge holding area that houses them all. And usually we put them there at night 
there's a we're actually changing the the roof on part of it. We have most of it is without roof, so that it's cool because yeah. during the during the day the sun is pretty 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 strong. Part but sort of the back part of the holding area has roofs which which we're trying to change now. And if it rains, they all sort of settle into the back part of the holding pen. But huh. during the day, usually they laser on the house. Oh, okay, okay. Well, they got that covered. Yeah. <laughs> What's the procedure for visitors if they want to adopt? I did read somewhere that uh, that is an option, right? Oh, yes. No, the, the whole idea is for people to adopt them. But, and, and we think it's a good idea for people to come up and interact with the dogs and actually choose a dog that you've interacted with. As I say, we're in no hurry to give them to the first person who shows up wanting a dog because they of already course, have a home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. so the fact that somebody comes all the way up to the farm to choose a dog is a good indicative that they've actually done their thinking. But we still want to know, we still want to see pictures of their home to make sure, yeah, you might have a great home, but if it's not closed off, the dog's going to probably run away the first days. So uh, we don't want that to happen. So we do a little bit of background checking before, and if everything's okay, then we, we let the person adopt the dog. We always tell them that for whatever reason, they can and should come back. So right. we're very, we, we try and stay on top of the adoptions for the first month, two, three months. And if in that, those two, three months, people don't have complaints and it sounds like everything's going fine, then we'll let out for a, for a while and communicate once every four or five months. We don't want to sort of, sort of be in anybody's business, but, right, but we right. try and keep track. But basically, basically the people who take who take the trouble to come up, up to the farm, they've usually been good, good at options. Yeah, I can imagine. But what if they're, are they ma- adoptees mainly in Costa Rica or abroad? Well, mainly it was local, it was Costa Rican, but now that we're getting, because we've been doing this for 10 years, it only went viral a, a few, what, a month, months ago, and um, so now we have, yeah. nobody knew about us, and now we have tourists coming, and now we've been, very lucky to have three or four, we've started already, three or four adoptions um, in the States. One is hoping to go to the United Kingdom, but that one's a long process. And um, Oh, yeah. So, so we're very glad to know, know that now um, we have, we call them our Territorians because they're from Territorio. So our Territorians are going out, out of our frontiers. What's the legalities, though, with paperwork and bringing back a dog from out there? Well, the thing is, luckily, Costa Rica has, I mean, it has sort of a, a, it enforces vaccination against rabies. It's hard to enforce, but it is, for example, for shelters, it's very easy to control. People, they can't check if you are or aren't, but you should be. So all our dogs are vaccinated yearly. We give them the the rabies vaccine anyways, and the core and non-core set of vaccines. So they get a whole bunch of immunity every year. Mm-hmm. So that part, which should be the hardest, is already done. And we get the, everything done through our vets. They take the blood samples. They send the documents saying that they've been vaccinated. And basically, that's enough to get into the States. Into, okay. into, into Britain or, or United Kingdom, it's a, a long, long, long process. But, um, but the States, we've had some very good experiences with exporting our dogs to the States, so it's fine. Okay, that's that's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I can just imagine if if uh, say I wanted to adopt one, but it was I live in an urban city, so if they're used to out there, they may not even enjoy Canada. <laughs> no, that you, a lot of people think that, but no, they have the greatest. I mean, we have one that lives in Miami. 
in an apartment and travels with his adoptive family to work in the University of Miami every day. We have another one living in Mexico who lives in a high-rise apartment and does nothing all day, Uh and he's happy doing nothing. So they they fall into the pampered city life very easily. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good to know. (laughs) Would there be any advice that you could say for rescue organizations to have a successful, I guess, way of managing rescue dogs since you've been doing it so long and you have about 800. Maybe you have some uh, (laughs) practical tips. You know what? Um, I'm no one to give anybody any advice, especially coming from a third world country who's who's barely starting with, with efforts towards trying to help animals. But well, the way I see it and the way we always tried to explain what we were doing, because we were doing it very differently, we said, we can't save them all, probably not, and we can't find mm-hmm. homes for them all, probably not. So as long as they're with us, let's let them be dogs. Let's let them have fun. Let them sniff each other. And if they have to get into a scuffle, let's let them get into a scuffle. Let's try and make sure they're fed, happy, socialized. We'll deal oh, with whatever comes up. Yeah, with whatever comes up when it comes up. But um, if for, I don't know, practical reasons, you should keep a dog isolated from the rest. It, mm-hmm. You always have to think it's practical for humans. It's not practical for the dog. The dog does not want to live isolated from the rest of the pack. He doesn't want to live in a kennel. He doesn't want to live know, in so a sad. cement floor with wired yeah. fences. That's not... And, and so maybe, yes, you are saving him from, from sickness or maybe getting hit on the street, but you're not making him happy. If there is an option, I highly recommend keep the dogs, start with a little pack, build on it, and try and keep them as a great big family. They won't learn on their own. You have to be there. You have to check on them. But it does make a difference. It does make a difference. Wow. Thank you so much, Leah, for sharing your story. Um, but we We are out of time. But I do, I just... Do you have names for all of these dogs? All of them. All of them. Each and every dog has a name, and we try not to repeat them. Yeah. They have the weirdest names, too, but then again, how many pretty dog names can you you recycle? So, yes, yes, they all have names. They all, all have names. That's amazing. And you guys have good memory. (laughs) That's that's about all we remember anymore. (laughs) That's it. Well, if you'd like to know more about the organization, they do have a Facebook page called Territorio de Zaguates. That's that's pronunciation. (laughs) You can find so many photos and videos there to see. We'll take a quick break before we talk with our second guest, Jeff Reed from Rescue Me Canine Training. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. They called it elephant skin. It was rough, wrinkly, like a Brillo pad. His hair was falling out in clumps. Petey stopped eating and all his hair fell out. Our golden retriever, Sundance, scratched incessantly. There was hair all over. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. Within two weeks, the shedding slowed down to almost none. The scratching went away after a few days and... Sundance's coat was starting to get shiny and glossy. It's a 180 turnaround. His skin has cleared up. He's not in pain. If your dog has 
shedding, dry skin, excessive scratching due to Dynavite. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Jeff Reed, a professional trainer that specializes in rescue dogs. And as he says, owned by two of his own rescue dogs. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. So, how did you get so much experience in rescue dogs, particularly? Well, I was pretty lucky when I first started becoming interested in training dogs. I was doing some volunteering at a shelter in North Vancouver. I was living oh, in Vancouver okay. at the time. That's where you started. Okay. And uh, I found it was just a great environment to see a wide variety of dogs. And, and this particular shelter seemed to get a really high number of things like grow-up dogs or dogs that were seized or fight dogs. And oh. so I had an opportunity to work with those dogs, and I, wow. I found it to be the most rewarding part of working with animals. You know, the cute puppies get adopted on their own. The ones that have That's real true. behavioral issues are the ones that you really need, that need the help. So that was where I first started out, and from there I went on and kind of pursued some education in it and did some seminars and went and got certified as a trainer and then got to where I am today. Wow, but your experience came before the... I, I should say formal education. You kind of just had the natural ability to do it, I suppose. Uh, I think there was certainly an affinity to it. And, and yeah, the, the experience came before the education. Like I said, I think the, the shelter is a great training yeah. ground for anybody who wants to spend oh, time around dogs and learn how to communicate with them. I bet. Oh, wow. And fight dogs too. <laughs> You're awesome. Oh, yeah. And you focus on positive reinforcement methods. And I know trainers I out do. there have their own ways, but in your case... How has that method improved even the severe cases of rescue dog aggression, for instance? Well, I think that when it comes to real severe aggression or dogs that have severe behavioral issues, lots of times that comes from a lot of trauma in their own lives. And, and dogs like that, I don't think you can use anything but anything, uh, yeah. positive reinforcement <laughs> methods and counter conditioning and things like that. Because I've seen dogs that you couldn't even give a command to without them showing their teeth, right? And it's because they have such a history of that being the point where the fight begins with the previous owner. Okay. And I also think that, you know, a lot of behavioral issues stem from fear-based behaviors, from fear-based issues. Oh, yeah. And I don't think yeah. you can correct a fear out of an animal. Right. I think you need to teach that animal that the thing that they're afraid of isn't something they need to be afraid of. And that's how you change their behavior permanently. Yeah. Oh, I like how you say that. You can't correct the fear out of an animal. Huh. That is true. No, I, I don't believe you can. Now, can you tell us a situation that stands out where if you didn't train the rescue dog, it could have led to an unfortunate outcome? 
you know, I think this is one of the real sad things about rescue dogs is that any situation, any behavioral issue has the potential to lead to an unfortunate outcome. You know, mm. certainly for my practice, the I deal with dog-to-dog aggression and dog-to-human aggression predominantly. That's probably about 80% of what I do. Yeah. And yeah. those dogs are incredibly at risk. But even simple behaviors like house training, if, if a dog isn't house trained properly, that's a dog that gets returned to the shelter again and again and again until it's deemed unadoptable and other behaviors result from all the, all the time spent in the shelter. So, that's true, yep. So I think, uh, you know, I think one of the sad things of rescue dogs is that in many scenarios, unfortunately, they're viewed as replaceable or disposable. And, and if people don't see the desired behavior they want, they're very quick to move on to another dog in some cases. So... I kind of view every case as, as one where the where the dog is at risk. That is a very true perception. And that's so sad that people do view it like a it's a quick uh, replacement, I should say. It's so sad, in, you in guys. <laughs> yeah. Now, perhaps you can give rescue dog owners a few practical tips on addressing the common behaviors that come with bringing a dog home. I know there's been a lot more adoptions over the past few years, which is great. But now it's, well, how are they improving or maintaining the behavior that may come with it? Well, I think the most important part when you're adopting a dog is to, you know, there's some things that happen before you even see behaviors. You know, I I think the first thing that I tell people when they're considering a dog is to pick something that fits their lifestyle and their energy level. If you're a couch potato, don't get a marathon runner. And if you're a marathon runner, don't get a couch potato. Um, Typically, it's that friction between the requirements of the dog and the requirements of the owner that leads to a lot of problems right off the start. Absolutely. Um, And I also tell people not to be quite as concerned about breed or sex or color or size. Don't pick your dog on the prettiest one. Pick the dog that fits you, that you have a a connection with, that you like that dog's personality and you like their temperament and you feel like the energy level is a good fit would be the first step. I think beyond that, I, you know, when it comes to specific issues, it's tough to say just in general terms, but I think there's a few things that people can do to make sure that they get on the right track. The first one would be put the training time in right from the beginning. I think a focused effort when you first get your dog pays lifelong dividends, you know, rather than trying to, you know, live with behaviors that you find intolerable or allowing things to continue and get worse. I think if you, if you start on the right foot and really put the time and energy in, you really end up with a relationship that's fantastic. I would also say, don't assume that problems are going to get better on their own. Left unchecked, most behavioral issues get worse. Thank you. (laughs) Extremely important, that last point. You hear that one a bit, do you? Oh, yeah. And I would say for any owner, educate yourself on positive reinforcement training methods. There is absolutely a ton of information out there, most of it conflicting. You know, there's an old saying that the only thing two dog trainers can agree on is that a third person's doing it wrong. You really need to find techniques that are based in science that are the most current up-to-date things that we can use that take advantage of everything we've learned in animal science and behavior modification. And I think you also need to really use techniques that ring true to you, right? Any technique will have some degree of success, but if you don't believe in it, if you don't think that the technique is sound, you shouldn't be using it. And lastly, I would say get professional help quickly for any problems that don't show improvement right away. If you're doing something to try and address a behavior and you're not seeing improvement, then whatever you're doing is not making a change. So there's no point in continuing to do it. You need to mm-hmm. find someone with a higher level of knowledge that can help you out past that hurdle. Right. Okay. Great. Those are awesome. Awesome. Awesome tips. But I, I guess you're not a fan of shock collars. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I, you know, it's a, it's a tool that I just think 
we live in a push button society and people want to have immediate solutions to problems. Mm -hmm. But every dog that I've ever worked with that has been exposed to a shock collar has ended up worse than rather than better. Really? Every single yeah. one? Wow. Every single one. I've yet to see a problem improve. Like you may improve the behavior on its surface, but yeah, if you have a yeah. fearful dog that you're shocking because they're responding to other dogs, uh -huh. if you don't address that fear, you still have that problem and it's going to come out somewhere else. Mm. Right? I recently had a client who had a Great Dane, lovely dog, had never shown any signs of aggression that was getting shocked. Another trainer had recommended a shock collar and the dog was getting shocked to prevent him becoming racked around other dogs. Uh -huh. And at one time when there was other dogs barking and the dog was at risk of being shocked, the client's child touched the dog and he opened him up for nine stitches on top of the head. Whoa. So that's a great example of a dog that's been put under far too much pressure. You've taken yeah. away its coping mechanism, you've taken away its only outlet, and you've made a fearful situation even more fearful. Yeah. So. That's good to know because <laughs> I do see them around a lot lately. Are there any special rescue dog transformations that you'd like to share? You know, there's been a lot of transformations that have been memorable, but I, there's one that I use when I talk to people about the power of positive reinforcement training and counter conditioning. And, and it was uh -huh. a dog named Sebastian that was probably an 80-pound dog that no. was lunging at cyclists. And this was your client? Was, yes, this was my client. And he was, he was serious. He was going to bite someone. Uh, he okay. was, he showed every intention of biting. And what we did is we worked on counter conditioning and desensitization. I never gave him one correction. I never gave him, I never even gave him a command. We just worked on creating positive associations around bikes. And we worked on it. It only took us about an hour and a half. And at the end of an hour and a half, a bike approached us and his first reaction was to turn around. And I was kind of sitting off to the side and he turned around and hit me with his paw expecting food because he saw a bike. <laughs> and that was the very last bike he was ever reactive to. And it oh, took wow. an hour and a half of training. Oh, that, see, those, so. that's examples that everyone should be uh, <laughs> paying attention to. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it may not be as fast as pressing a button, but it's a permanent True. solution. And it's a dog that's now stable and happy and calm not fearful yes yes that's good good well thank you for taking the time to talk with me jeff and thank you for helping the rescues become their best version we are out of time but if you'd like to know more about rescue me canine training you can visit rescue me canine.com is that correct that's correct perfect thank you to our guests and our show producer mark winter for making this show possible if you have any questions comments or ideas for the show please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com so until next time spread animal compassion let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com <laughs>